that's such an exciting sound. Oh, wow, listen to that thing. Oh, just listen to that sound. Bring it up, Mac, please. Quick. That's right, get them while they're still nibble of the hook. That an exciting sound. Friends, once again, on this Saturday night. That means, that once again, friends, on this Saturday night. Oh, it's such an exciting time. Uh, it's bumble puppy time. Uh, watch it, Mac. It is magic bumble puppy time. And don't forget, in our vast new $522,000 contest, it is up to you to hit the ding-dong and guess the whoopee. Anyone can play. Oh, you ought to hear the lyrics to this tune. They are unbelievable. I'll tell you, not only would we be knocked, we would be knocked off the air, our antennas would ionize if I sang summertime. The nutty season has begun. It's just really popping out all over. I'm walking along Fifth Avenue, and uh, I'm right in the middle of a high-rent district. I mean, D-E-A-U-X bucks. I mean, all the guys with $400 suits, you know, chicks walking up and down, everyone looking very chic, the high cheekbones, the, the $40 shades, the whole bit. I'm right in the middle of all that on Fifth. I'm trying to pass, see, pending. I'm like, well, you know, I'm walking on Fifth Avenue, and this guy comes out of this very chic men's shop. You know, the kind of men's shop where they sell the $17 matched set of cologne and aftershave. And that kind of thing comes a little leather case with alligator handles and all. And uh, he comes out, and he's with his friend. And uh, I'm walking along sort of a little bit behind them, and I see these two elegant gentlemen with the with the wasp waist suits. Oh, I'll tell you, with the, with the tremendous head of hair, and they have these hanging things around their neck, the whole thing. Yeah, oh yeah, it was just great. I mean, they, and the sun was shining down, and this guy reaches into his pocket, and uh, I could see he takes out his he takes out his tobacco case, the fancy tobacco case, about a forty five dollar tobacco case. You know, it's made out of lizard skin. Had little claws on it, you know, the whole thing. He takes this baby out, and then he reaches into his breast pocket and takes out his pipe, and he loads it up, and he sticks that pipe in his mouth. What a sight. But you should have seen the pipe. I don't know exactly how to approach this, friends, but that elegant gentleman was smoking a pipe, the bowl of which was shaped like a... How can I explain this to you without... Well, uh, do you have a Sears Roebuck catalog, friends? Look back in the plumbing department 
And uh, I'm not kidding. It had a little, you know, had a little, uh, it had a lid on it and the whole thing. So, and he went walking down the street. I said, holy smokes, it is the summertime. The good old summertime. Da, 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 the good old summertime. Everything is popping out everywhere. Bring it up there, Mac. Here we go. In the good old summertime. In the good old summertime. Oh, I'll have it go all the way. The Jersey smog is floating in, in the good old summertime. Ain't nothing like a traffic jam of a Long Island Expressway in the summer. As bumper to bumper, we hang together in the good old summertime. <laughs> tell you about this great listener that sent me a set of genuine bona fide bunny slippers with the two little ears hey guys <laughs> oh yeah we're moving like the good old summer oh we're speaking of the good old summertime friends uh, I'm, I'm i don't think there's any animal on the face of the globe that's more affected by the changes in climate and the uh, changes in season than man himself oh yes you got to concede that that there are great things that happen deep down inside of you when that sun arches up in that blue sky and you feel that warmth, that heat, and the sap starts to flow through the marrow of the bones and you feel those little twigs coming out around your elbows. Yeah, and more than one of us is walking through life today with a nest of robins in our hair. <laughs> and uh, we would like to salute, speaking of the, uh, the magnificent gestures that sometimes occur during summertime, uh, we have one here that could not conceivably have occurred in mid-February. And it happened in swinging England. We have a note here from Amersham, England. Well, that's a very official little town. I've been in Amersham, England. They have a cathedral. They have a little pub named the uh, Boar's Head and Whistle. You know, the real, you know, the old gentleman walking around with the tweed coats. And this happened in Amersham, England. Blonde Bobby Wolseley, 22 went hitchhiking in the nude here in Amersham, England to test drivers' reactions. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> they reacted. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, according to the note here, it says they reacted, however, with true British esprit de corps. One gentleman stopped and asked her for her autograph. <laughs> it's one reaction. Not exactly the one that I might have had, but uh, that's all part of the summer nuttiness. As she stopped 20 motorists stepping out of the bushes on a country lane, naked except for a pair of shoes, a hat, and a handbag, and wearing tasty white gloves. Would you please? I like that touch. Would you please? Uh, I'd like to salute that young lady there. That's the kind of thing that I, you know, for years have been dreaming would happen. That's it. The kind of thing you only read about. One motorist was Ron Hove, 
who said later, well, why, why, George, this cracking bird without a stitch on asked me to the way to the nearest phone box. I was dumbfounded. I told her where to go to the phone, and I just drove on. After all, what's a man to do? <laughs> yeah. A tractor driver, Barry Maine, said, oh, oh, why, George, I asked you, a, a beautiful blonde, Starkers. My wife won't believe it. Said I ought to touch a song, but I tell you, she was Starkers, absolutely Starkers. <laughs> There's a good old British expression, she was Starkers. Oh, in a good old summertime. Of course, this is a true 20th century dynamic electronic chick. She had a microphone concealed in her handbag and was simply involved in a scientific testing of motorist reactions. Hey, I'm feeling real good here tonight. Excuse me a minute, it's, you know. But I'd just like to point out that as you drive along Route 9... Never know what you're going to see tonight. You can hope. After all, you know. <laughs> well, I think one of the greatest uh, little moments like that happened here in England. It happened last summer. Do you remember that great one when these two nice, tweedy, 60-ish ladies were playing a genteel round of golf on this very genteel country club course? And they approached the 11th hole when all of a sudden, out of the bushes, popped a gentleman, totally starkers, wearing nothing. Well, he wasn't really totally starkers. He had on a derby hat. <laughs> One lady belted him with a niblick, and he left. Well, I'm under, I'm under, don't, don't laugh now. He was probably somebody's uncle. I can see some kid walking around telling about what his uncle did yesterday. <laughs> oh, well, oh, speaking of uh, the summer nuttiness, uh, it is also affecting my friends. Uh, let's see here. Yes, I have it here. I know you want to hear about this. Oh, I'm sure you do. Uh, it is affecting... Um, there's nothing is more affected than the, than the animal world. Hey, listen, speaking of great notes on animals... I think I'm going to do an animal show tonight. Do you mind if I, if I talk about animals? You like that? Okay. Well, you may not like what I'm going to tell you about animals, though. Everybody talks, you know, how I'm going to talk about how cute the little dachshunds are. And how... <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that, you know, you, you, there's, there's more and more, there is unrest in the animal world, and you see it everywhere. And, you know, there's a new, a new profession has arisen in the last 10 or 15 years and that is the animal psychologist, you know, the guy who studies the animal mind. Have you ever sat there in this big Airedale is, is squatting next to the fern? The big old Airedale sitting there, his tongue is hanging out. Have you ever looked at the Airedale real carefully and, and wondered, hey, come on, you guys. Have you ever looked at that Airedale real carefully and wondered what the devil he's thinking? What, are he, what he really is thinking. Well, I have something here, friends, that for years I have suspected. And now an animal psychologist, the very famous one, has made a statement in San Francisco. Animals in zoos 
come to regard humans as members of their own species. You know how people always, you know the old cliche about the animals are looking out at the, uh, the people and they say, uh, you know, all jazz about how silly they're being. No, animals look out and they see you out there and they think you're another lion or another bear or turtle or whatever it might be. This is a phenomenon, and I'm quoting the article here, which came out in the New York Times, that can lead to peculiar fixations, bearing all the marks of courtship and unrequited love. A famous Swiss specialist in the animal mind observed this past weekend, Dr. H. Heidegger, professor of animal psychology at the University of Zurich, and you don't get no more official than that, the University of Zurich, told a told a large group of animal behaviors at San Francisco that an animal might see the keeper and even people who come to visit him in the zoo as a sexual rival or a potential mate. Just thought you... <laughs> so if you've been out walking around, you know, you got this chick on, on your arm, you know, and you stop in front of the Kodiak bear cage... And this bear looks up, and you know, he's sleeping on a rock there, and he says, Hey, Fred, look at this! He, you know, he nudges the other bear, and the other bear says, Holy smokes! Have you ever had a feeling that that Kodiak bear is looking kind of funny? <laughs> yeah, I'm just bringing it out to you here, friends. I'm not inventing it. The male lion, he said, normally tolerates his keeper with equanimity, but he flies into a fantastic rage at his sight when the lady lion is on the scene. Now, what is he thinking? He listed courtships. Now, listen to various courtships that are on record. Now, get this, friends, of animals that got real hung up. Uh, now, now, I know a lot of little ladies come from, I know that Spot loves me. <laughs> that ain't what he's talking about, lady. <laughs> and this animal psychologist, he listed, quote, courtships of their keepers by tortoises. I mean, you know, that's kind of sad. Otters, pigeons. He cited the case of some male sparrows that uh, chased the wife of a keeper around. For <laughs> okay, you know, this, this presents some grotesque pictures. Acceptance of man by animals as a member of the same species is one of the many ways in which animals may regard him as significant, Dr. Hedegger said. The commonest way, he said, is to react to man as the, quote, universal enemy and flee. The rarest, he said, is as prey. Sometimes an animal will look out and think of you as an inanimate part of the environment. For example, he cited house mice and koala bears which, when frightened, occasionally mistake a person's leg for an inanimate object and attempt to climb it. Well, now, that's no joke, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. You know that my kid brother once had a mouse run right up his pants? Came running right out from under the refrigerator. I'm serious. I'm, I'm not kidding. My old man, we used to have a great mouse hunt that would go on. Usually, at this time of the year, yeah, they come in in the spring. They come in, you know, and they hang around. And then they, 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 a lot of them come in in the fall. And so we'd have a periodic mouse hunt. 
And the old man would take this broom, see, and he'd start swatting it behind the refrigerator, which is where the mice always hung out. And one time, one just came out, bloop, bloop, right up by my kid brother's corduroy knickers, and that was the end of it. <laughs> oh, wow. But, you know, uh, uh, these, these things, if you live among animals, really live among them, you accept that. It takes a psychologist to make it official. Oh, I know that many, friends, many, many an Airedale has mistaken somebody's pants leg for an inanimate object such as uh, a fire plug. Uh, that, uh, that <laughs> I mean, that, that's happened, uh, you know. But uh, there's more to this animal things. Now, Now the other day, I'm looking at the times. Now, you think that animals, everybody has an idea that animals are so great and they don't cheat each other, and uh, it's man that invented cheating. You know, you've heard this. And all Listen to this, friends. This is from the New York Times. Now, this is very official. From the first page, no less, of the New York Times. And it's a whole big article about animal signals. You know how animals talk to each other, one thing or another? Let me read this little passage to you, friends. Some small fish dance for their supper. And in the process of eating it, they perform a vital health service for bigger fish. Their supper consists of parasites. And, uh, you know, they hang around. You've seen fish. They hang around and clean the other fish's teeth and so forth. Uh, for parasites and so on. This is a phenomenon known as the cleaning symbiosis. Cleaners, and these are fish that live this way. They're, you know, little, little, you know, they're little garbage men among fish. Cleaners, they're, they're for example, the wrasse, W-R-A-S-S-E, is the name of a fish that does this. He waits at a sheltered cleaning station for a likely customer to swim by. And then to drum up business, the cleaner comes dancing out to and fro in front of a new prospect. A good one there, see? All the while, wiggling its little live body until the big fish says, okay, all right, knock off the dance and okay. All right, clean the teeth. While the customer fish then floats patiently around, opening his mouth and gills and lifting his fins for the cleaner's inspection. The cleaner keeps the big fish informed of his whereabouts by continually fanning it with his fins. I'm back here, over here now. I'm over here in the bottom, you know. And he runs out. Oh, sure, fish are very nervous, see? Well, when the big fish, being groomed, tires of the procedure, it then signals to this little cleaner fish, that's enough, by partially closing its mouth, flicking its gill covers, and shaking its body. Now, you have not heard the punchline of the story, friends. The wrasse is such a successful cleaner that its size, shape, and markings are completely mimicked. Completely mimicked by a small predator fish called, this is one of the greatest names for fish I ever heard, the saber-toothed blenny. <laughs> Here's this little phonus balonus, the little saber-toothed blenny, see? And he's got markings just like the rats, you know? He's got his little fins going, he's dancing around out there. The blenny even imitates perfectly the rats' dance. But as soon as the host fish comes near to be cleaned, the blenny takes a bite out of it. <laughs> you know, that leads, that would be a great thing to write on the, on the, on the subway walls. Beware of the saber-toothed blenny. As a matter of fact, I suspect that the, that the saber-toothed blenny lives in our lives. How many of you friends know a saber-toothed blenny? You know, comes around, gives you that sweet talk, and then you make a false move, ah, right out of the you-know-what.
Now, I just thought you ought to know that it isn't all beer and skittles in the animal world. And here's another note from the animal world. I'm collecting all these animal things. And you find them in the most unlikely places. Now, all of us know that showbiz and the animal world are getting completely out of hand. Did you read in the uh, in TV Guide that uh, that Flipper is going to make a guest appearance on Gentle Ben? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Wait till they bring Lassie into that one too, you know. And, and uh, that that leads to awful thoughts, you know. Eventually, uh, eventually somebody, Ivan Torres probably is going to wind up, he's got a whole stable of great animal stars, you see, and, and, and they're all trying to get on the, Jack, you know, the Johnny Carson show. And I could definitely see the day coming when Johnny Carson says, and now, tonight's guest, let's see, who have we got here? Well, we've got the Zsa Gabor. Hello, Zsa She goes, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your, you know how she does, what's your, what's your? He says, hello, Zaza, and you hear a girdle creaking, and uh, right next to Zsa pick her up in the camera there, we've got the Monty Rock the Third. Yes, sir. Hi, Monty. And all his little earrings are dingling. And Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim's, oh, hello, Johnny. And then we go to the next one. He says, oh, yes, and there's uh, Bertrand Russell over there. Hello, Bert. Bert sniffs a little bit. And next to him is that newest star. Here he is. Let's give him a big hand. First time on the show, it's Gentle Ben. And Gentle bites off Bertrand Russell's leg and sits there. <laughs> oh, I've got a terrible sick mind, you know. Speak yourself. Oh, this is WOR, friends. Yes, indeed. This is Radio radio Free Broadway. This is me. And uh, I want to read this little note to you. That, that uh, And don't worry, this, this, this is leading somewhere. And I want to give a disclaimer here. If you're a nice lady type, if you're a women and children type, uh, I'm going to give you fair warning. It is now time to leave. Because the show is getting raunchier and raunchier and nittier and grittier as we go. There is a little note out of the Wall Street Journal they just recently had in Pittsburgh. You know, the Wall Street Journal has all the big business news. See? And uh, in Pittsburgh, I'm quoting here from the staff report of the Wall Street Journal. It says, important business was transacted here in Pittsburgh in an evening session, but it did not involve steel, aluminum, or coal, as is commonly bought and sold in this vast industrial city. Uh, some of the merchandise offered for sale was a 12-foot boa constrictor curled up in its owner's hotel bathtub, a male gorilla seeking a mate, a psychotic monkey who had spent too much time with people, needed reorientation to return to the monkey world, an unattractive female Bengal tiger whose delicate stomach rebels against horse meat and demands instead expensive beef filet mignon, and uh, the owner wants to get rid of her quick. He says, this is getting a little bad. And they had this great international gathering of zoo dealers who came to trade stuff, one off against the other. But here is the line that, that sticks out of this piece that almost like it's made out of neon. The Chicago Zoological Park, in addition to the boa constrictor in a bathtub, wanted to unload, <laughs> wanted to unload a male cheetah for 1400 bucks. And here's the, uh, the comment that was made at the uh, convention by the man who wanted to trade it off. He says, uh, well, uh, he's uh, exceptionally tame. He's been on the Jack Parr show. And the next line says, uh, he'll be through with all of his commitments within a week. The cheetah will be through with his commitments. His bookings, you know. Well, 
not thinking about that. I says, he must have a better agent than I've got. Through with his commitments in a week. And then, no sooner had I read that piece and I was sitting there marinating in my own juice, thinking about, you know, life, and when all of a sudden, down below that, there's a tiny piece that's one of the saddest ones of all. From Grand Rapids, Michigan, polar bears are like people. The females outlive the males. And there are other similarities. There is the case of Snowflakes, who was a widow at the age of 14 at the John Ball Park Zoo in Grand Rapids. Snowball died at the age of 21. It will cost more than $4,000 to replace Snowball, who along with Snowflakes was a major attraction at the zoo. Uh, by the way, her common-law husband, it refers to Snowball as her common-law husband, he passed by, he he left this great mortal coil after drinking some scotch or something. And uh, now they're looking for another mate. But it seems that uh, there is no assurance that a new male polar bear and snowflakes would be compatible. And furthermore, she's in love with her keeper. So, you know, it's... It, right, that would make a heck of a soap opera. Jeff will bend. Oh, there was one line in that in that uh, thing from Pittsburgh, and so that they listen to this. They, you, stuff sneaks out of the Wall Street Journal from time to time. I want to read this one to you. This was a good line. Uh, these guys were all standing around trading, see, and the reporters writing down the various comments that the various traders make. Uh, say, I want to work out a deal with someone who wants to breed gorillas, said a man from St. Paul. I've got a male... Another guy jumps up out of the crowd and says, Well, I've got a female. And the first one says, Well, you come and see me. We'll work out a deal. And a third guy in the back of the hall jumped up and says, Who gets the movie rights? I'll let that one uh, soak out there for a minute. <laughs> well, I, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about this whole animal thing. I've had my troubles with animals in the past. We've all had our troubles with animals. But uh, this little note here that came out of a local college paper, you know, we've been having trouble there all over the, all of the colleges and been complaining about all kinds of stuff. But it's always very, uh, very uh, amorphous. They keep saying, we want to reorganize. We want uh, freedom. We want, uh, we, want uh, we want to reorganize. We want to burn out administration. And nobody has anything specific that they're really bugged about. Listen to this letter, and I will not tell you what school it's from. Because, you know, I get a lot of these school papers. Listen to this letter from a school paper. Dear editor, dear editor, I write this letter in disgust in answer to a complaint to the food service manager concerning the abhorrent condition of finding cockroaches in the food here at college. He stated that they were emanating from the canteen area and dismissed it at that. I don't know if the food service manager believes in the theory of spontaneous generation. But modern theory has disproven it. Cockroaches do not live in, breed in, or feed on crumpled newspapers, paper cups, napkins, or empty milk cartons. I submit my own theory that cockroaches are simply drawn to that crummy restaurant, that cafeteria, by the lousy food they serve. I suggest that this entire place be totally and periodically disinfected. I thought this situation was exaggerated. I heard other guys talking about it until I found a cockroach cooked in my pork chop. 
Well, now, friends, that is something to complain about. I would be inclined <laughs> to go on strike. Well, now, that's not so funny. Now, now, now just a minute. Now, well, it is. <laughs> it is funny in a way. Think of the poor cockroach on the other hand. Well, like, you got to. I mean, it's not easy being cooked in with a pork chop at a second-rate school. But uh, nevertheless, I had a... Oh, boy, did I have an experience one time with a small animal. Let's put it this way. More than one animal that got its way into my food. Now, now we've all had these terrible, these terrible dreams at times. Not dreams, but you worry a little bit. You know, you say, have you ever, have you ever looked at the, you got a cup of coffee and there's a little thing floating around and you hope that it's a cigarette ash? And then you pull it on, it is a cigarette ash. You say, oh, it's a cigarette ash. And then you keep right out. And the, have you ever had this this little, especially if you're eating somewhere out, you have this little feeling that the, you're, you're eating away at the soup and you got this uh, Manhattan clam chowder and you're, you're slopping away and all of a sudden a little foot sticks out wearing a sock. Huh. <laughs> you're worried. Well, all right, I'm going to tell you a scene one time, friends. I'm with this girl, see, and uh, I'm young and innocent, and I had a great big dash of both, young and innocent. They don't always go together, you know. I was young and innocent. That's why I said both phrases. By the way, speaking of that, uh, if I may uh, go back a moment here, uh, that letter, that letter to the editor, this, uh, uh, I have a, a current commercial on television that's one of my favorite commercials. It's the one where the guy is writing the letter. You know, and you hear that voice. Of all the unmitigated gall, I thought you said you were going to fix my roof. I got pots all over the living room. More water is coming down. Signed, sincerely. <laughs> and it's a pen that can even write hysterical. And uh, so, you know, we're all, we've all got our little things, our little nudges and itches, and we're being bugged, but... Rarely does the thing that you actually fear happen. Actually happen. You know, when you get on a big boat, you see pictures of people getting on these great big ocean liners. And you walk up there on that magnificent deck and the sun is shining down. There must be a moment that goes through your mind. What if it should sink? And you say, oh, well, that's ridiculous. You imagine yourself three days out, and all of a sudden the captain says, Hear this! Hear this! The steamship HH Decadence is about to sink. We are now going in the water. Will all of you please go to your lifeboats? However, we have just discovered that most of the lifeboats don't work because they got holes in them. However, will all of you go to the lifeboat? So long, fellas. It's been a nice trip. We are sinking. Goodbye now. And there you are. Well, now, this, this kind of thing rarely happens. Uh, we always have little vague fears that stuff like that's going to happen. But one time, one of the things that I've always vaguely feared, as have all of you, actually occurred to me. I'm out with this chick, see? Beautiful summer day. Oh, would you give me a little salute to summer? It was that kind of day, just a little of that summer music. Oh, the good old summertime... Oh, the sun was shining down so beautiful, true and bright. 
how did I realize that today was going to be a day that was going to ruin the whole summer for me and a lot of other things? Oh, in the good old summertime, behind every bush there lurks a cockroach. The PPT and the termites, too, in the good old summertime. Oh, it was a beautiful day, and, and I had this date. It was, it was a Saturday afternoon. Now, we all have the weekend dates, you know, the whole thing where you're, you're going to go to the zoo, or you're going to go someplace, and the, maybe out to Jones Beach, and you're going to have dinner. I'm talking about a real big, important date where you've saved up a couple of weeks and you got a little dough in your pocket. You know, you have about $2 and a half. And uh, you clean the car all up. You get out the vacuum cleaner. And I had this beautiful little Ford, see, that was the light of my life, the pride of my joy. I had personally taken every cotter pin out of that Ford myself, polished it, and replaced it. I had taken every valve stem out of that car at one time or another and ground it off personally with grinding powder. I had cleaned the valve stems, the valve springs. I had replaced every part in the, in the at least 15 times in the fuel pump alone. It was the pride of my life. It was the joy of my existence. And it was a light robin's egg blue. And I had the, I had jazzy seat covers that I bought at the at the Pep Boys, and I I had mirrors all over the side, you know. I had fancy uh, grill guards that I had bought. All this, every cent that I had went into this car. And so on this day, it was a Saturday, beautiful day. I had been looking forward all week for this date with this girl. Now I had been going with this girl now for about oh, maybe five or six months at that point. And she was the kind of girl that was like made out of China. Like she was, you, you know, uh, those lamps, those uh, 18th century type lamps, lamps, and these two people are dancing, uh, a minuet. You've seen those pictures. And that kind of, she was that kind of girl. She was made out of pure alabaster. She had, she had cheeks of the most subtle, delicate rose petal hue. Her eyes were made of... Uh, a rare stone that is only found in the Middle East. And all everything about her was just this unreal, this beautiful, soft, elfin, blonde. Oh, man, you know. And so for a whole week before this big date, I have been cleaning the car. It is polished. I have taken my old man Simon eyes and I've polished it. And I'll tell you, you don't know what it's like cleaning a car until you've cleaned a car with the real Simon eyes about four times a car that has spent a winter parked out back where the, where the blast furnace dust comes down all, you know. And, it, and it's, it's, my fingernails are worn right down to the knuckles. And I'm just so beautiful, and I'm all dressed up. I've got my electric blue sport coat. I've got my button-down shirts, the Tony Martin collar, you know, the whole thing. And I've heard for about four hours before that, I've been combing my hair, and I've been taking showers, and now I've got my new gray flannel slacks on with the alligator belt. And I drive over to her house. The top is down. It's a convertible. I drive. The sun is beating down. Just, you know that great feeling, Mac? You know you're going up for you. The radio is playing. Little did I realize that I'm about to face truth and reality. <laughs> I mean, you never know when you're going to get the truth. And I drive up to her house. And I go, ah, ah, ah. 
the door opens. And that vision of feminine loveliness comes floating out. And she's wearing this light pink kind of filmy thing that just sort of floated about her. And she floated down the stairs. And she floated along between the privet hedges. And I looked at her and thought, oh, oh, could no life cannot hold any more magnificent moments than this. And she floated into the car next to me. And she sat on that beautiful new set of seat covers. And I said, well, kind of nice day. She says, yes. She had that breathy quality. And I could see her mother looking out between the curtains. I could see her old man in his underwear standing there. He had these suspenders. He's looking out at me with this glare. You know, that look that says, you better get her back here just exactly in the same condition as we delivered her to you. You hear me? I will bust your neck in seven places if you do not. I wave, and off we go down the street and under the elms and the cottonwoods. And I turn left, and five minutes later, I'm out on this big highway, and cars are all around me, and they're behind me, they're in front of me, and it's a big Saturday afternoon traffic jam, and the sun is beating down into the convertible, and we're making small talk, and the radio is playing away there, and I'm getting more and more. Oh, this is such a, such a great day. Everybody's looking, and they could see this lovely chick, and there I am driving a car. And we drive maybe about, oh, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes in the heat. And we drive another half an hour. We drive another half an hour. We drive another half an hour. Then we drive another half an hour. Well, actually, we didn't drive. We sort of stood in the traffic. <laughs> and I always had trouble with this car, see? There was one problem I always had with it. Always had trouble with the thermostat. It always heated up. No matter what I could do. I look, Believe me, I ran Bon Ami. I ran everything. I ran uh, Babo. Uh, I ran every possible. I used the plumber's helper. Everything on that radiator. Nothing. It was always stopped up. And so the heat is coming up. And the heat is blowing back in my face. And it's blowing back in her face. And I noticed that I'm running a little short on gas. Now, I bought my gas in those days in two-gallon lots. And, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> she didn't quite get that. <laughs> oh, two gallons was a big time. I used to, I remember once in a while I, I would work at this gas station. I worked at an Esso station. And uh, I used to be astounded at how many guys would drive up to a, to a gas tank. Maybe you don't know this. How many guys would come up and they'll drive right in, you know, and, and you're cleaning their windshield. And you look in and say, what will it be, sir? And you'll say, uh. He reaches in his pocket. He says, uh, give me 15 cents worth. Oh, sure. Do you know that I one time, believe me, I one time sold a guy, and you will not believe this. A lot of you are going to say this is a joke. But I one time sold a guy seven cents worth of gas. Now, I know that every, every, uh, every guy who's ever worked in a garage out there is nodding and said, oh, man, <laughs> oh, Listen, I've had guys come drive in to the gas station. You drive right, you know, drive right up to the pump, and uh, you'll say, uh, "You get out your squeegee and you're cleaning the windshield." And the other kid is around the back; he's cleaning the rear window. And uh, you'll look into the, you know, the bright smile, 
And you say, well, uh, what'll it be? Uh, you regular or SO? Or do you want the uh, high test? They say, oh, nothing. I just uh, came in to get my windshield cleaned. Oh, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and then he'll always add, oh, yeah, would you check the rear tire there on the left? It holds 26 pounds. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, and check the water, too, uh, by the way, while you're at it. Yeah, okay. And you're thinking, what else can he think of? See, what else can he think of? He'll always think of this then. Oh, yeah, where's the John? <laughs> That's a typical sale. Well, the, how, how do you sell seven cents worth of gas? Well, I'll tell you how you did it. This The guy drove in one time, and I'm standing there by the pump, and I rush up, and I start cleaning the window, and the hand comes out of the window, and he says, uh, here, I want this much worth. He didn't even want to say it. See, he says, I want this much worth, and he's got a nickel and two pennies. I thought he was kidding. I said, well, do you want it? Do you want to, uh, do you want to drink it here? Or uh, do you want me to put it in a paper cup for you so you can take it out? Don't be a smart guy. Put it in the back where it belongs. Well, I take the pipe, you know, I take the hose, and I put it back in. By that time, the hose is dripping a little bit, see? And I put it back in there, and I press the thing, and it goes, ah! <laughs> and I go, ding, ding, seven cents. I pull it out. And he says, don't, come on now, drain the rest that's in that hose. So I take the hose, you know, and I drain what's in there. Well, I wondered how far he got on that. Not my problem, probably to the next gas station. You're going to come find another couple of cents under the seat. And so uh, that, that was a typical sale. Well, I, I was a little bigger than that. I'd buy two gallons. And so I drove into this gas station, and it was hot. And I kid comes up, and I, he says, what do you want? And I says, give me two gallons. I said, oh, what the heck, give me three. So he says, all right, yes, sir. And he runs around the back with the hose. And he starts pumping the gas to the back of the car. And sitting over there, next to the little old shack, where they keep all the STP and all that stuff, is this cooler. You know the kind of cooler that they've got that uh, has this uh, top that you open up? There's ice in there. has 10 cents written on the side. And they've got all these bottles in there. Well, I'm being very big, see, so I turn to door. I think that's a... Uh, how about the drink? Would you carry it? You know, it's awful hot. She says, yes, please. I'd like a drink. I said, well, what'll it be? She said, oh, uh, see if they have orange. I said, okay. So I go over to this cooler and I open it up. You know, I'm being very big. I'm buying her a drink and everything else in the gas station. And I'm feeling great. Oh, I'm feeling like a real grown-up man. I mean, I, I'm sure that every guy at one point, if he really searches his memory, can remember those first moments when you really felt like a grown-up person. You're in a gas station, your own car, you've got this girl, and I'm buying her a drink. So I open up the thing, and here's this big cake of ice floating around in there and a lot of water, and all these bottles are down there, and half of the labels have come off, and I reach down, and I'm pulling around, I pull my sleeve up, and it's cold, and the kid is putting the gas in the back, and he's eyeing the chick, you know, the whole bit. And so there's an orange bottle. So I take the orange out, and I wipe it off, and I open it up. It pops open. Then with a great flourish, I walk over to the car, and I say, here you are. Yes, sir. And she says, oh, thank you. She takes a little sip out of it. Hmm, it's very good. Aren't you having anything? 
I said, oh, well, what the heck? Sure, of course, I'll have a drink. And I'm thinking all the while, see, there's a little cash register going ding, 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 ding in my head. See, and I, I'm working right on the edge of disaster all the time in the money section, in the section of life, and ding, ding, ding. Oh, wow, what the heck? So I go over it. I just want to warn you, friends. You do not ever really truly expect what will really happen to you in life. And maybe it's just as well. I never believe, I, will, I refuse to believe in fortune tellers. Because I have a feeling that if a fortune teller could really tell you the truth, you'd probably flip your cork of what really is going to happen. So I go to the cooler. I look down in there, and there is a bottle of my favorite, you know how like they always say on television, my favorite beverage. I reach down, and I take out this big bottle, and I could hear the commercial singing behind me, and I drain it off. I open it up. And I casually walk over, you know, and the kid is now walking around. He's cleaning the headlights and all that. And I casually walk over to the side of the car, and I put my foot on a running board. And I've got my bottle, just like Bonnie and Clyde, you know. And I got my bottle of stuff, and I take a great big swig of it. Ah, oh, boy, did that taste good. Oh, man. In fact, it tasted exceptionally good. That's the first thing that hit me. This was an exceptional bottle of whoopee water. I mean, you know, you, you always expect soft drinks to taste alike. You know, you, you have uh, so many bottles of orange, you don't certainly expect to come along on a vintage year. Well, I take a great big slug. Oh, boy, was that ever good. You know, it tasted great. Oh, it was so cold. And she's drinking her orange and looking up at me with those big demure eyelashes going ding, 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 ding the big blue eyes, and I'm looking at her with love, and she's looking at me with love, and I take another big swig of this drink. <sighs> the sun was beating down. I do not know what made me do this, friends. I had taken two great big, you know, the chug-a-lug swallows, you know, <sighs> down in the gut. We'd been sitting for two hours in the hot sun. I took two big swallows. Why I did this, I will not know to this day. I guess it was a gesture of savoir-faire. You know those gestures that David Niven is always making in the movies, where he takes the cigar and he flips it so casually? Those little gestures when uh, Cary Grant takes his champagne glass and Audrey Hepburn is sitting opposite him, and he just, with a flick of the wrist, he gently touches the rim of her glass with the rim of his, and it rings like an elfin bell of pure passion. Ding. Well, I was being the bon vivant, the man of Elan, savoir-faire. And I had seen this done in the movies many times. You know how when the guy holds his glass of wine up to the light, and he says, ah, what sparkling clarity. <laughs> Tomorrow we die. You know that scene? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, the Dawn Patrol, all that shtick. And so I take my bottle of my favorite beverage and I raise it up and I hold it to the sun. For an instant, it did not register on my brain. That deep, rich, brown, bubbly, carbonated fluid, ice cold, it did not register what I was seeing. Then suddenly something in my, my little mind said, what the heck is that? My jaw hung slack. I looked at it more closely. The sun, it's... I can't believe what I'm seeing. There must have been at least an inch and a half floating around on the bottom 
of that that soft drink. An inch and a half, at least an inch and a half, of dead flies. There was about 500 dead flies in there. And I could see the little faces looking out. I could see their feet. I lowered my bottle of sparkling fluid. That beverage that brings the roses to the cheeks. The kid has now finished putting the gas in the back of the car. He says, uh, that'll be uh, 87 cents. I said, what? He said, that'll be 87 cents, Mac. I said, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I reach in my pocket. All I could think of, an inch and a half of dead flies. How many dead flies have I drunk? Tastes good. <laughs> I reach in my pocket and I pull a dollar out my hand to the guy. I was so shaken. I said, keep the change. And Dorothy's sitting there with her orange drink. And she's finished it all the way down to the bottom. She's looking at me, waiting for me to finish my drink. I said, well, uh, guess we might as well get going, huh? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I take my bottle and I got about a half a bottle left in it. See, I had drunk a half of it already. That's what made me worry. And I take it back and I put it in the rack. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing you don't do when you're out on a big date. You don't tell your chick what has just happened to you. Not in that department anyway. At least I don't. So I get back in the car and I sit there. <laughs> Have you ever felt yourself literally feeling pale? I, I knew it. I knew I was as white as a sheet. And we drove ten minutes, and she's looking at me. She says, what's the matter? I said, oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. The sun is shining down, and all around me there were millions of cars, happy people. People to whom nothing had yet happened today. Happy people on the way to the beach. On the way to the zoo. And there I sat. With six full ounces of Google water. Down in my old gutter Rooney. How many flies had I drunk today? I don't know. You remember the old ad they used to, they used to put out about the raisins? Have you had your iron today? Well, I guess there's plenty of iron in... Flies, I don't know. Sure tasted good. Well, this began to prey on me. For about five minutes, it's preying on me, see. We're in the middle of traffic. Car in front of me, car behind me. And all of a sudden, I had to do it. I said to her, just a minute. I'll be right back. I slammed the door and into the bushes. <laughs> I got my nice blue coat. And I have my, my, my magnificent satin tied that's silver and it's got this hand-painted snail on it. And, uh, I brush myself off and I get back in the car. We drove another 15 minutes in the sun and I kept thinking of those little strangers, my little friends. 
And I had a say it. There's a car ahead of us, a car behind us, 16 million ahead of him, 16 million behind him. I said, just a minute, uh, I'll be right back. Into the bushes. Wah! Now I'm back in my car again. Jesus said, what's in the bushes? I said, well, uh, Looking for violets, I guess. African violets. I'd like to give you some... Excuse me, I'll be right back. Into the bushes. Wah! Back I get. I sit down. Well, you know, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I visited over 425 bush patches between that gas station and the beach. Well, <laughs> we aren't sitting on the beach two and a half minutes... I've got this big blanket spread out. The sun is beating down. When she looks at me with those big baby blue eyes, that lovely blonde hair, that skin that was made out of sheer rose petal, and she says, Jean, would you mind? Uh, I sure would like a cold drink. Oh, oh, a cold drink. And I said, well, Okay. <laughs> what would you like? And she named the drink. The one they make out of dead flies. I said, well, uh, okay. All right. And I remember going back through the sand, say, and kicking sand in guys' faces as I went, hurriedly, because I had to get real fast back to that place, because, you know, it's kind of embarrassing on the beach. And I arrived back, whoa! I bought a bottle of this stuff. I started to come back. Well, I couldn't make it all the way back. I went back and I said to the guy, would you trade this in for uh, some Yoo-Hoo? And he gave me some Yoo-Hoo. I went staggering back under the heat of the sun. And ever since that time, friends, I've learned one thing. Don't look at anything too close. Or do you prefer closely? Either way, you're liable to see the flies. You're liable to see the cockroach in the pork chop. And maybe it's just as well. She never knew. But we do, don't we, friends? Don't. Don't, uh... Oh, it's not going to happen to you. It's all right. Just don't, don't take it personal. <laughs> Hang loose, friends.